prison life was a city to where that everybody was doing what they want to do at the expense of other people. Coming into the academy is a place where soon when you got off the bus, men started saying, welcome to the academy or welcome to the I-5 program. It's a culture shock because you don't get welcome when you get off the bus or greeting like that. In the other units, you, you know, and you get, okay, who you're riding with. The academy, when you come here, it's like, welcome to, and it's like, wait a minute, this is different. Now you're feeling accepted. Now you're feeling a part of something that you always desired to be but the environment you was in didn't really give you that outlet. Today, our special guest is a prison fellowship employee. His name is Daryl Brooks. Daryl works at the Carroll Vance Unit in Houston, Texas. And of course, the Vance Unit is part of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Daryl is the Prison Fellowship Academy Program Director. We're going to be visiting with Daryl about the Academy and his history with that program. Daryl, welcome to the Reimagining Prison Podcast. Welcome. Welcome, Sam. Well, Daryl and I have known each other for a long, long time, many years, and uh, it's good to have you, Daryl, to visit with you about the, the Academy down in Texas. Um, when did you become the Academy Director? How long have you been the leader of that uh, program? So I became Academy Director in 2016, uh, which, you know, it was amazing for me to become the Academy Director. So it took place in the year 2016. Uh-huh. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the academy? We have lots of academies uh, in the in the in the country. Uh, we basically have two uh, types, if you want to say it. Uh, we have tier one academies, which um, are run mainly by volunteers, and a couple hours in the evening each week, a couple days. And then we have two tier two and tier three academies, which actually have full time staff. Which, of course, I believe Texas is the largest academy we have. So, tell us a little bit about how many staff you have, how many participants you have, and, and what, what the academy is. Yes, uh, Sam, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, uh, this academy is uh, very unique. Uh, it is the first and largest academy formerly known as the I-5 program, uh, started by Prison Fellowship in 1997. The whole unit is designed for academy participants, and we have about 320 men on the unit, and we have about 250 participants in group now. And so we staff with about six here on staff. Uh, we have four counselors, and we also have what you call a staff administrator and myself as the director here. A uh, very unique place uh, uh, to work at, you know, and to be with these men. Uh, again, like you mentioned, we have the Tier 1 and the Tier 2 Academy. The academy, uh, the PF Academy is typically a 12 months uh, faith-based program designed to address criminal genetic risk factors and to contribute to a crime and incarceration and reduce recidivism rates. So again, it is delivered by staff. And so we do have staff here at this facility uh, that, that um, uh, implement uh, all of those curriculums that is needed for those guys to live, live and become good citizens, yeah. And you're unique because you, uh, as a director, you were actually promoted from within. What did you do before you were the director of the program? Well, I mean, it's it's a it's an amazing history that I have with the program, with the academy program. Uh, before coming on staff here, uh, at first, uh, I did some janitorial work and all that outside of the unit. Uh, I became a mentor here in the unit, and, and I was a mentor in 2004, 2011. 
uh, I came on staff and in 2016, I became the program director. And so I was a counselor before becoming a director. And the great thing about a counselor, you're able to see all the ins and outs and what the men face when they come into the unit. And so that was a good portion of my training was a counselor first before I became a director. And what's very unique about the Texas program and yourself as the director, uh, you actually, before you became a mentor, yes. where were you? So before I became a mentor, I mean, very unique, uh, uh, you know, and when I think about how unique this, this, this journey are, I mean, I, be, I was a, I was alumni of this program. I mean, I was a graduate of the program, an ambassador of the program. So in 2000, um, uh, I came through the program and man, uh, being a participant of the program, uh, being able to, I uh, was able to grab the tools that was necessary that I needed to become a good citizen once I walked out the door and I had it with them and say, you know, I'm not going to come back through the back gate with cuffs on my hands. I'm going to come through the front gate and give back what was given to me. And so I started mentoring in 2004, man, and it was a blessing for me to do that. Uh, mentoring in 2004 and it was going to school at the same time. I remember with the person, the other former director mentioned to me and said, if you go to school, get a degree, we'll bring you back on staff. And so I worked towards that. Uh, and Lord behold, I, you know, was able to come back on staff in 2011. And so, man, to be able to walk back into the same unit um, you did time on and to walk out and come back in there, man, it's a blessing. I mean, I remember one thing that really happened to me, Sam, uh, 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 first came back into the gate and, and the officer, when you come into the gate, they normally take your driver's license. And they would give it back to you once you walk out. And so the officer had my driver's license. And on the way out the door, out the gate, he says, Brooks. And he said it with a tone to where that it, everything within me, all of my emotions were stirred up. And I remember my past and how my name was called. It wasn't called by your first name when you was doing time. They called you by your last name. And when he said, Brooks, man, I just had a. One of those moments of you call it a flashback, if you will, like, wow, man, I don't want to feel that way anymore, you know? So, yeah. But again, being in this academy, man, and training and teaching these men, it's it's just amazing uh, to me. I remember when you became academy director, you gave an address to the community of people. And and like you said, there's there's hundreds of men in that unit that you were addressing. Do you, do you remember some of the things you told them? Because I remember you you gave this address in the classroom building and you were recalling your history in that building and then you're standing before the current participants as the director. Yeah, it was one of those moments where uh, I mentioned to those guys, man, with God, all things are possible to those who believe and you can't tell me that it cannot be done you know, uh, look at me, there's no excuse, you know? And so no one can say, hey, because I've been to prison, I can't become this, I can't become that. When you just look at my life, one who's been in prison, you know, uh, for quite some time and many units I've been on and now to, to be on this unit doing what I'm doing, there's no excuse for anyone that is doing time to say, hey, I can't make it. You don't have no excuse with God as all things are possible. And so that was the words that I gave to those men. And, you know, to this day, some of those guys still hold those words dear to their heart. With God, all things are possible. And you, re I remember also as well that you told them the very floor that they were, were sitting and standing on 
What was yes? The, tell them. And man, now now that's a unique story right there. So uh, while I was academy participant, this this office that I'm in right now, there was some type of way it was up under construction and going through the academy. Uh, I was on what you call a maintenance crew, and so I was able to lay the tile in this chapel, paint the walls, and I was sharing with the men the very tile that you're standing on. I was a part of help laying the tile, not knowing that I was building my career right where I stand. You know, and so we never know what God has in store for us. We just have to trust and believe that he's got something for us, you know, and so that's how I looked at it. And so, yeah, I didn't know. I'll be sitting right in the same seat today I'm in right now, uh, talking to you about where to Zoom meeting. I'm in the same office. Was it was it was there any difficulty, Daryl, making the transition from someone who had participated in the program? You did time at the Carol Vance unit. People, you know, you you had the the number, and yet you came in as a volunteer at one point. You came in as an employee at one point. Then you're a director at some point. Did did, did anybody have problems with that? Was it hard for the staff to accept you or were they pretty open? How'd that go? The staff was pretty open to me coming in and being a part of the team. The difficult thing was the men um, that was a participant of the program, knowing that I've been in the same uh, place they've been in and, and uh, for them to know that I've been there, uh, there was somewhat of a lack of respect at, at you know, uh, and I had to gain that respect, you know, because when you think about it, they would say what things such as, man, you've been here, you understand. You understand, but I had to divide my position as a, as a staff uh, counselor and a staff director from where I've been in life, right, my past. And so I had to continue to speak that to those individuals. And as a result of that, I began to gain respect from those guys. That was the most difficult thing knowing that you've been in the system with these men or been in the same shoes with those guys. And when they was going through something, they would come to you and mention, hey, man, you understand. But that portion was for them to get what they want. Uh It wasn't a genuine understanding. Yes, I understand. But here's a better way to live your life, right? Uh, Move away from the criminogenic thinking. Move away from the uh, prison mentality and look at things from a different worldview. And that's the very thing I was able to implement to those men, you know. And so the very thing I did, uh, Sam, was I wanted to speak to those men, not in their current state, but where they was going once they walked out the door. And so I was speaking from a worldview, how are you going to participate and engage in the world is going to be total different than you engage in the system. So let's start thinking on how we're going to operate in the world while we're doing time. When you did, how much time did you do, Daryl, in the system? And what 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 led you that direction as a youngster? You know, I did 15 years in the system. And what led me to that? A uh, young guy grew up in a small town. Uh, you know, father wasn't nowhere around. Uh, the influences I had wasn't good. They, it was bad influences all around me. Uh, and, you know, as a result of that, uh, Everything I did, I took it to the streets, you know, and I found comfort in the streets, right? And man, then that led to one thing to another, started doing uh, drugs and things of that nature. I started smoking marijuana at the age of 10 and started doing drugs at the age of 18. So 
all of that, man, led me to a place where, man, of incarceration. You know, and I always had dreams of being something, but because of the streets, I just couldn't be what I wanted to be, you know. And so, uh, yeah, and so that led me to the streets and led me to commit crime and crime and do things that I did that led me into prison. Where did you first hear about the, the as the program was known when you came through it, it was the IFI program. Where, where did you hear about it? What, what interested you in even coming? So, so in 1997, I was incarcerated at a prison called Adolph Briscoe Unit. Um, and I heard about the program in 1997. Actually, uh, I got saved in 1996 and the program was launched in 1997. And so it was all over the system about there's a program that's going to be starting in Houston as a faith-based program and all this and the other. And I said, yes, I would like to sign up for that. But at the time, I was denied because I didn't have enough time, you know, to be a part of the academy. And, man, years went by. And next thing you know, um, I had a parole hearing, and the parole board decided to um, uh, uh, give me what award me would an FR vote, which is called FR 18 vote, uh, to be a part of the program. And I was shipped to the program. And as a result of that, man, uh, it was a blessing. So you did time in several other institutions in the state of Texas. Um, for, for someone who doesn't really have any knowledge of the academy and the culture it has, it's a different culture than a typical prison culture. What was your first, what was your first impressions? And looking back now and, and actually being the director of the academy, how is an academy prison maybe different than a typical prison and why? So the reason why it's just so different, I mean, um, being on a, a form where a regular unit uh, where there's uh, no type of uh, programming, uh, things that you can do to better yourself, uh, it was just you was living the prison life, uh, being on different units. And the prison life was a city to where that everybody was doing what they want to do at the expense of other people. You know, and that that came with, you know, uh, the same things that that you would normally would see in the streets. Right. Uh, in the prison system, you have drugs in the prison system. You have all of these different things. Right. And so I found myself, Sam, indulging in the same thing, you know, living just like an animal inside of these other prisons, you know, that I was in. And it was right there where I was able to do that. You know, you had to really fend for yourself. But the transition was night and day. It was a night and day transition. Um, coming to from one place where you had to strap up and had to to make sure that you kept your eyes on everything awake and, you know, to the, uh, uh, a little acceptance here and things of that nature. Coming into the academy is a place where soon when you got off the bus, I mean, men started saying, welcome to uh, the academy or welcome to the IFI program, formerly known as, you know, and things of that nature. And so you realize it's a culture shock because you don't get welcome when you get off the bus or greeting like that. Uh, in the other units, you, you know, and you get, okay, who you're riding with. You know, that's what you get when you get off the bus in the other unit, not welcome to a program, you know, night and day, who you're riding with, uh, uh, what you're going to, you know, all of these different things you get. But the academy, when you come here, it's like, welcome to, and it's like, wait a minute, this is different. This is a little bit different. This is a culture shock. You know, now you're feeling accepted. Now you're feeling, 
you know, uh, a part of something that you always desired to be, but the environment you was in didn't really uh, give you that outlet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to it's hard to imagine that you 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 just triggered a memory uh, for for the audience who don't know. I was the academy manager in Iowa at the same mm-hmm. time you were a participant at the academy in Texas back in the early two mm-hmm. thousands. And I remember we had a gentleman quit young young gentleman quit the program, and mm-hmm. I, after one day he wanted out. And I remember mm-hmm. interviewing. Said, "Man, why do you want to leave?" He goes, "It's way too friendly. I can't take it." Yes. Yep. And and like you say, a person used to live in that that life. I mean, even to this day, we have guys that come into this academy that's been incarcerated over 20, 37 years. When we put them in an open setting, it's difficult for them to live because of that that pro-social thinking uh, era that they they struggled with. They, they just have difficulties handling socializing with other people because they've been in the cell block for so long. And so that's the very unique thing about a community, right? It, it teaches you and trains you how to socialize with individuals and because you're going to have to go back into society to know how to socialize. And so community. How do you think, do you think the community within the academy, Daryl, is different? Is If you had to compare it to if there is even a community in a typical cell block. Yeah, I mean. You know, in a typical cell block, you never see a, a, a community. You see more of clicks here and a click there and a, a things of that nature, but you never see community living. And so what makes a community environment so different in this academy is that, uh, number one, you're welcome, right? Right. Uh, number two, you're being affirmed by other people. Uh, the number one thing that happened for a person that's doing time uh, they always look down on that, never been affirmed about, you know, affirmation and things of that nature. And so this community allowed us to have these things to happen. And so it, it teaches and train a person how to become a good citizen because you have to become a good citizen right in this community which you're living in. Right. You have to model that if you're not modeling good citizenship or being, uh, uh, I would say, a brother in Christ or a neighbor to the next person that you're sleeping next to, someone going to talk to you about it because you're in an atmosphere where it's, 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 it breeds transformation, it breeds change, it breeds moral, moral values and all of these things. And so you're in this environment that speaks to that, right? Being in this environment. So someone is going to say, hey, brother, you're here for, for this, right? You know, even though we don't discriminate, you know, what what religious, religious affiliation that you have, you know, Christian or non-Christian, we can't discriminate, but, you know, this is the goal is to love each other, you know, and so it, it makes a big difference to be in a community like this. What do you think, what do you think are the most pressing needs that you see of men right when they get off the bus and they're brand new coming to the PF Academy? What's, what, what are they, what are they most struggling with and you have to address to get them on the right track? The number one thing that a person struggle with coming off the bus is still wanting to live their life they lived at a different prison coming to this one. And you have to address that head on and, and you know, and to deal with that because again, that's that's a mindset, you know, and you can't a person can't overcome a mindset from one day to the next. And so those mindsets that an individual may have. Uh, coming from one prison to the next 
you have to deal with those mindsets. Um, one thing is that, again, making a person feel welcome, right? Accepted. Um, again, affirmation. Uh, giving those persons that, that it would help uh, lower that, that, that wall down. Uh, that mindset that they may have coming from one unit to the next unit uh, because they're not used to a person, again, making them feel welcome, uh, you know. But, yeah, and so it's the mindset that you have to deal with. I mean, we still have guys want to do things uh, the way they did on the other unit. You have to course correct that. You have to continue to speak to that. And so that's a major thing that we have to deal with that is pressing when a guy arrives here at the unit. When you look when you look at guys uh, as they leave, and you obviously have lots of guys who are successful when they get out. I'm sure you have some that are not so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think deter- determines the success or lack of the same of people when they finally pass the gate? What do you, What do you look for? What do you think is going to predict that? What I What I look for, matter of fact, I look what I look for is even here before they even release. So when, when you have a participant that can correct another participant and still be respected by them, that's a sign that he don't have a problem making correcting a person, you know, but yet and still stay humble and other people respect them in the process. That's a sign that he have the ability to be able to make it on the outside because he know how to confront issues in, in the most difficult place, you know. Um, the other thing I look for is um, one that has the ability to deal with pressure. And so when you have a participant that know how to handle pressure, uh, that, 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 that's a determined factor that the nine times out of 10, he, he will be able to make it on the outside. And how do you gauge the pressure um, when there's change that take place in the system? Uh, are they flexible without griping about it? Right? Would they change or shift with the change, or will they throw a, a fit? Will they just lose it? Right? Uh, that's a that's a good sign that man. Hey, this guy here, though he may look like he's well done, but he still have a problem. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that I look for, you know, in an individual. Uh, think about when a guy that's already that have been out for quite some time. I look at milestones. Uh, when, when a person been out for 18 months, I would look and say, okay, that's a roadblock that he just hit. Now, once he overcome those 18 months, there's a three-year three year span that I look at the three years and see, okay, he's doing good in three years. When I see a five-year mark, he's on his way to success. So those are the marks that I kind of look for, 18 months, three years, and a five-year individual. You've been, you've been around that unit for – 20 years, mm-hmm. you've, seen a, you've seen a lot of wardens come through. You've seen a lot of uh, COs come through. Um, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously, as the director, you're going to deal with the warden, I suppose, a lot. Uh, when correctional officers transfer in, and maybe they don't, but I'm assuming there's people transferring in and out of different yes. prisons. Is it an adjustment for them to come to an academy <laughs> unit because it's so much different, particularly maybe if it, you're a minimum custody unit. So if they come from a yes. higher custody unit, that's an issue. How do you how do you folks get along and how do you address the philosophical issues that might come up on how business is done in advance unit? Well, it's a it's a major adjustment, adjustment, especially coming from a maximum security unit to a unit to where that 
Um, the men can move around a little bit different than the guys on the other unit. And then you see these, these correctional officers that, that see this and it's like, wait a minute, this is totally different. This is a different ball game, you know, but the neat thing that helps those officers are your ranking officers, such as a sergeant, your lieutenant, or your captain. Those are the persons or your wardens. Those are the persons that have the ability to speak into the life of a CO that come off of another unit to say, wait a minute, we don't do it like this here. This is, this is what's taking place. This is what needs to be done here. And so it's a transition because, you know, I see officers say, man, this is so different. But at the end of the day, they realize and understand that the pressure is not as intense as it was on another unit. And so being on a van unit, it's not as stressful. You're not running and looking for someone, uh, fights and all these other things. You're not being called on the radio to do this. It's almost like you're here trying to manage, you know what I'm saying, uh, mm -hmm. what's going on. But it's, it's minimal that take place on this unit. And so for an officer to come here as a correction officer and do the rest of their time here, I say do time, meaning work here. Man, it's a blessing for them. I mean, when they look at it and say, wow, wow, this is good. So a lot of officers, you know, actually the neat thing about it, we have officers here that was here when I was here. Oh, really? You know, yeah, and so it's neat to see those officers. So, yeah. So it's going to be up to that ward and that captain, how they how they steer their officers. And, and it's going to be determined how they adjust to the unit. Because you, about, you still have some that would, you know, that still want to live that way. But yeah, this is different things when you have an officer. I know yeah. that the, uh, the program there is, has a lot of volunteers. Um, how many volunteers wow. do you have on your roles? And uh, what can you do, you, do you have, I'm sure you have some special people in your past that, that invested in you during your time as a participant of the program. Mm -hmm. Say something about the number of volunteers uh, that help with the Academy and their role. So we have, um, on this unit right now, we have right at about 200 volunteers on the unit. Uh, volunteers play a major role in the life of the individual or the participant that, that is here at this academy. Uh, their role is to come in and help teach curriculum, uh, but also they are role models uh, to what good citizens look like when they come into the unit. And even for me, Sam, um, uh, they was a role model for me. Right. Uh, as the volunteers came into the unit, I looked at them as, you know, if they coming in and giving up their time like that uh, as a sacrifice to their family to come in and see about me, man, that's that's a volunteer worth connecting with, worth listening to. And so most people don't know this, but the men and women that behind the walls that don't get a visit from family member, the volunteers become their visit. You know, and so it's like, I want to talk to this person. So volunteers, I mean, they mean so much. Uh, without this without volunteers like that, it's hard to really run a unit at this magnitude. And so volunteers play a major part in what we do here. You know, I, I often wonder, you know, everybody, everybody defines normal differently depending on their, bring, who, who brings them up, where they live, what community they're raised. Mm -hmm. And then the, what made me think of this is you used the term role model for the volunteers. Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, how do you think, how do you think the norm, what's normal to a person 
gets changed over time. I mean, obviously you came to prison as a young man, your normal is a lot different than it was then. Mm -hmm. How how does that get changed? And what does it take to change it? Because that's what people are after as far as you're talking about rehabilitation. How Mm -hmm. do you get a new normal? Um, that, That comes with a different perspective. And so what happened is the new normal come with a different perspective. Right. Um, coming up in life uh, in an environment right where everything looked like it was just this and that it was it was a bad environment. And deep down on the inside, I always wanted to become something in life. I believe every child want to become something. But because of his environment, it shapes his belief system. And in return, he become just that. And so when I got, when I began to see these volunteers, it began to spark something in me that I always desired, you know, to be something. And, and, and seeing them, it became a new normal to me to start walking that out and start living it. And it's like, this is, this is what I always wanted, you know? And so that's how I believe that over a period of time, I overcame the odds, right? Uh, the odds of, boy, you'd never be able to do this and be able to do that because, and so I began to get a different perspective based on what the volunteers brought into the unit. And so think about other units that don't have these type of academies. Mm -hmm. They only have one perspective on what life looked like, and it's that which is in front of them, right? And so, Mm -hmm. but coming into this academy, you have a multi-time, perspective on on different things because you have different volunteers coming in all different type of walks of life you know and you have different perspectives and so it gives you a different view on what life looked like do you have volunteers that's been there the whole 24 years you think that's well we have we have one we have one betty waiterman now she's been there the whole time and so i mean she's still rocking and she's pushing I mean, she's been our go-to person when it came down to helping out with other volunteers coming in. She's been our our marketer. She marketed everything for us. Yep. And so she and a church called Christ Church, and they've been amazing. What um, kind of community relationships do you have in Houston as far as on the reentry side? Do you have a lot of interest in what goes on in the Vance unit with the community? Well, I'm uh, so amazed with how Prison Fellowship partnered up with Crosswalk, that's one of our re that's our reentry partner now. Mm-hmm. And they come in and do what you call uh stepping out class for mm-hmm. the men that's uh, uh about to be released from the academy, which to me I think is an amazing piece to to where that once these guys release they know exactly where they're going and the support they have on the outside, you know, and so uh that's our reentry partnership that we have with them. And so I mean from jobs to different things that these guys are able to receive the support they need. And so I think because of the partnership we had with that reentry, it actually helped our guys out uh, to succeed once they are released from the academy, because men do need other people to walk with them up on their release. Well, Daryl, I can't believe 30 minutes is up already. Any, Any closing thoughts before we close out today? Well, I just want to say, man, uh, again, Sam, thank you for allowing me to come on with you and just to chat about the Prison Fellowship Academy and the experience uh, that I have being an academy uh, alumni and also now the director of this academy. I would say, man, uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of this. Uh, 
journey and this, this journey going to keep moving forward. The Lord said the same, but again, uh, for those out there, the wardens, anyone listening to this uh, podcast, um, you know, men that are doing time have the ability to change if they have the right things in front of them. Great. Thanks, Daryl, for being our guest today on the Reimagining Prison podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Reimagining Prison podcast, produced and sponsored by Prison Fellowship. Tell us what you think by rating and reviewing the Reimagining Prison podcast on iTunes. To reach out with any other feedback or suggestions for future podcast guests, you can email us at reimaginingprisonpodcast at pfm.org. You will find this email address in the description for this episode as well.